Welcome to Foolish Voices, a Company of Fools podcast. Company of Fools is a professional theater based in Sun Valley, Idaho, and is a proud part of the Sun Valley Museum of Art. More information on Company of Fools and the museum can be found online at svmoa.org. Welcome to Foolish Voices. I'm Scott Palmer, Producing Artistic Director of Company of Fools, and on this show we talk to a wide range of theater artists, both here in Sun Valley and all across the world, about how the current global health crisis is impacting their work, about their creative lives, and about their hopes for the future of our art form. Please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at svmoa.org. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of talking with my friend and colleague from the Oregon Contemporary Theater, Artistic Director Craig Willis. Craig has been at the helm of OCT since 2003 and has an MFA in Directing and a PhD in Dramatic Literature and Theory from the University of Oregon. Craig's OCT directing credits include Jen Silverman's The Roommate, Edward Albee's At Home at the Zoo, Lisa Cron and Janine Tesori's Fun Home, David Ives' Venus and Fur, among many, many, many more. His scenic designs for Oregon Contemporary Theater include The Flick, Becky's New Car, Ordinary Days, The Seagull, and I Am My Own Wife. Craig, thank you so much for joining me on Foolish Voices. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks, Scott. Are you healthy and fine? I am healthy, other than, you know, uh, as we talked about earlier, a, a mild back issue that hopefully will resolve itself quickly. Good. So, I mean, since I know you probably don't have anything on your plate and no pressures or stresses, I mean, you know, you're in Eugene. Can you find a, a good massage therapist or, a, you know, a hot springs to go soak in or something <laughs> like that? Well, I, have hot, I have a hot tub in my backyard. That helps. Uh, and I, you know, I have seen my chiropractor. My massage therapist is, I think he's still social distancing, but hopefully soon he'll, he'll come out. Good. Well, deep breathing, a lot of meditation, and I feel like when I'm not feeling great during quarantine, that a good bottle and a half of wine <laughs> really does an enormous yeah. amount of good. It's so, good how, to be in wine country. Yeah, I know exactly. Um, so, how how has this uh, horrific global health crisis impacted Oregon contemporary theater? Well, we um, had just closed Jen Silverman's The Roommates on uh, February excuse me, March 15th. And that was about when things really started shutting down here. The gov governor's order officially for, you know, stay home and save lives didn't come until the 23rd, but um, you know, it was evident by that time that that's where we were headed. And so we had to cancel um, two of our remaining shows in our season, as well as our fundraiser and some rental events. So, uh, you know, probably about 25% of our annual operating budget was suddenly out the window. And so we've been playing recovery since then. Fortunately, we were a very early recipient of a PPP loan, which has meant that at least through mid-June, all of our uh, full-time and part-time staff uh, have been remained fully employed. And we're figuring out where we go from here. We've launched a new uh, fundraising campaign called the OCT Inspire Fund with an aim of raising about $80,000, which would, you know, combined with the PPP loan, puts us back at, you know, essentially 
about 100% of budget for this year and hopefully will help help us maintain our reserves as we start to look for the future. Well, that's great. I mean, you, you are perhaps it's sounding, I mean, I'm horrified to hear that you've lost such a huge amount of your income, but um, sounds like you're on it. You've always been real smart about kind of stuff like that. For people who uh, don't know Oregon Contemporary Theater, can you just tell us a little bit about um, so how many shows do you do? What's your space like? Yeah, so we're a three quarter thrust uh, with 130 permanently installed seats, but then um, there's a fifth row that um, lets us be flexible to add up to about another 40 seats. So we max out at about 168, 170. And we typically produce a six show season running from September until June. Um, and sometimes with some added special events in there. Uh, something else that we had to cancel this year is uh, the Northwest 10, which is a uh, festival of original 10 minute plays by Northwest writers. And this, this year's festival was called Old Boise because uh, we've expanded to include Idaho writers this year. Why are you, uh, why are you stepping on my toes? Why, why are you encroaching on my, on my, my, my patch of ground well, here? You know, it's, it's, it's actually off totally, North, it's totally fine. It's not, yeah, it's it really started off as the Northwest 10 and it was strictly Eugene writers. And <laughs> that was ridiculous, but we keep, we keep broadening what the definition of Northwest is, so. Good. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah, we, we go ahead, go knock yourself out. There's plenty of an amazing talent in Boise that I'm sure uh, would love to participate when it comes back. Um, so, I, I mean, how big a change have you seen in your local community? I mean, you know, in, on this podcast, I've talked to a lot of people from Seattle and LA and, you know, Broadway and Chicago and, you know, just, just the way in which this pandemic has kind of impacted the sense of community and the, the personality of the places. Are you, are you seeing that in, in your Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are lots of positive changes in that I think that people tend to be a little bit more fully engaged when you are uh, communicating. And of course, there's lots of social distancing happening, although uh, last Friday was the start of uh, our county being uh, opened up. We are in phase one of the reopening and which is partially because Lane County has had a remarkably low uh, impact in terms of, I think we, we are up to like 62 uh, positive tests and only two fatalities so far. Uh, so it's remarkably low and, um, and, you know, and, you know, when the sun started coming out a few weeks ago, of course, you started seeing more people out and about, but mostly people are being respectful. There are a couple of uh, large big box uh, hardware and, you know, yard stores that I avoid because they tend to be a little bit overcrowded. And, you know, I, I like to, I kind of am enjoying the social distancing movement. As <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those freakish people's. I'm a freakish person that I've never been a hugger. You know, I hug, you know, reluctantly. Um, so I don't have to right now and that's okay. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's so great for you. Uh, I am also not a, a big hugger and uh, 
yes, I have found I have found the release of having that social pressure of being sort of physically close to people uh, a little bit of a relief. So I am with you in that camp. Um, yeah, I actually wouldn't mind if we held on to some things that are happening. Like I don't mind standing in line at Trader Joe's for fifteen minutes to get in. If once I get in, there's a third of as many people as normally would be in. Right. <laughs> Yes. Uh, great. Well, I'll make sure to send a copy of this podcast to the Trader Joe's <laughs> corporate office so they can hear your thoughts. Um, so you've been with Oregon Contemporary Theater since 2003, but uh, you were just telling me that uh, the theater is about to celebrate its 30th anniversary. Yes, is that correct? 20, 2022 will be the 30th anniversary of the company. And since it seems like we're there's, uh, you know, not a lot of promise in producing a season which would normally be our 2021 season. Um, we are instead looking ahead and just we're going to be announcing uh, eight or nine titles that we will guarantee to produce uh, between now and the end of 2022 and calling it our 30th anniversary celebration. And it'll just be a, a year and a half or two year long celebration versus a, a one year celebration. I, I want to know the thinking and the discussions that went into deciding on a celebration over a season, because that, I mean, for people like us, that violates everything we hold holy and everything we understand about how to run a theater, right? Um, how did you guys arrive at the idea to just say, hey, we're going to promise you that we will do this slate of shows between now and the end of our 30th year without sort of, you know, kind of embracing that very traditional structure of doing, uh, you know, a 12-month identifiable season. Well, yeah, actually, usually for us, it's really a nine-month, you know, I mean, it's usually September to June. Right, exactly. Um, but it partially came from, I don't know if you've uh, tuned in much to the, um, oh, the, TRG, uh, which I don't even know what that acronym stands for, but TRG is one of the more well-respected arts consultants, both in marketing and development. Um, and Jill Robinson, who is the president of that, has been hosting these roundtables. Uh, and I've been tuning into most of them, and they've been very helpful to me in terms of thinking about um, how to keep our community engaged and how to fulfill our mission and how to hopefully inspire hope uh, because people need something forward thinking to latch onto. And it became quickly in my mind futile to try and think that we could announce a traditional season which we would probably then have to like come September say, oops, we can't do this show. Oops, we can't, you know. It would be a domino of, of catastrophe. And so instead, I thought, let's just go further out. And I thought, well, we could just announce half a season for next year. And, and I think that would still even be hopeful that in January, February, March, we'll be able to produce. And then I thought, well, you know, let's, we're starting to think about a 30th anniversary uh, special season anyway. Let's just start early, right? Um, and and give us all something to look forward to, and not be committed to dates until we can be. 
Are, did you find, Craig, that those kinds of conversations about really requiring you and your staff and your board to sort of think out of the box about what a, what a traditional theater program looks like, did you find that there was resistance or did you find that this is a moment where people are just naturally inclined to thinking differently about the way we operate theaters? No, I think uh, the people I'm dealing with are mostly pretty open uh, to, to change. And there's a lot of resistance to the idea that we can program soon. You know, I, I know some of my colleagues even here in, in Eugene are you know, being extremely hopeful that they'll be able to do some kind of programming, perhaps even as soon as late summer. And I think the people on my board and on my staff are more comfortable with the idea of not making any promises and really looking out beyond um, this calendar year and you know, waiting until there's more comfort. It's interesting as we go into this uh, reopening that we're going through, I start to sense from you know, my social cohort uh, what people's level of, of comfort is in terms of coming back together. You know, for example, I belong to uh, an informal wine group that meets on a monthly basis and we would be scheduled to meet next week. Uh, for the last couple months we've been doing Zoom meetings and it was proposed by the facilitator of the group that since you know the state's reopening, our county's reopening, um, maybe we could do this month's meeting in person, which I was fine with, um, you know, the weather's such that we could be outside in somebody's backyard. Uh, but there were several members of the group who said, you know, we're not, we're gonna keep the social distancing thing pretty strict for now. Um, so it was interesting to see that. And uh, I think a lot of people in the community are, are sensed that even though the restrictions are being relaxed, there's still, hesitancy and caution. Yeah, I mean, I think you probably have seen all those same surveys that, you know, have been published in American Theater Magazine and put it online where, you know, I it just felt like a gut punch when I saw, I think it was last week, one of the survey results across the nation is that uh, only 68% of respondents would immediately return to the theater even once there was a credible and widely available vaccine. Right. So, I mean, even, you know, if that, if that number kind of holds for a period of time, we're looking at a reduction of 30%, potentially up to 30% of our audiences who are just going to choose not to come back for a while, right? For six yeah. months or eight months. Um, well, that's certainly how I'm budgeting going forward. I do think that people, you know, will soften, uh, particularly because, you know, despite people's insistence that we might have a vaccine within a year, you know, we don't have a vaccine for the common cold, which is another coronavirus. And we don't have a vaccine for HIV, which we've been battling for 30 years. I don't think there's any guarantee that we'll have a vaccine at all, you know, but at some point we'll have herd immunity and, you know, we'll adjust, we'll have better treatments um, and know how to, handle the seasonal experience of having this in our lives but um you know and i think some people will 
we very well could have a vaccine, but I just don't think that that's a guaranteed end result. So, and if it ends up that there's not a vaccine, then people are going to have to adjust. Yeah, figure models. out what happens then. Yeah. yeah. So, what what are some of the implications for you? Do you think as as you are contemplating moving forward with the season, and you know, even if it's delayed opening and trying to figure out your dates. Yeah. What are some of the big hurdles that you as an artistic director of a growing and very influential uh, theater, what are the things that are kind of keeping you up at night? What are the problems that you haven't figured out an answer for? Well, I mean, I still need to keep doing some more modeling on the financial side of things, especially over the next six months. We might experiment with, um, you know, if we looked at a socially distant seating chart for our theater, we'd probably be able to get somewhere around 46 to 50 people in the audience. And, you know, as soon as three weeks from now, if we enter phase two of reopening, that would be allowed. Um, and I think it's possible that there are some things I might try to program in the fall um, just to see you know, what is it like? I mean, do audiences come and, you know, can we, you know, we're, we would normally expect hope for you know 130 people at every performance so if we can only fit 50 are we going to are they going to show up uh, do we need to add additional performances during the right. week you know that kind of thing um, and that, I think it's going to be an experiment and I don't see it um, you know it'll probably be cost to us as opposed to pro, you know, income. I mean, there'll be income, of course, but I just think that it would have to be budgeted to expect a loss on that kind of, of effort. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay because sometimes to fulfill your mission, you, you budget things at a loss. Uh, we're also doing, we're, uh, I've got approval from one of our funders to permanently install a camera system and uh, video capture and audio capture for either immediate streaming um, and or archival recording for you know a variety of means of putting it out there but of course that is complicated by unions and copyrights and so you know those are the kinds of things that they're not keeping me up but you know they're hurdles to jump through right so, um, and have you have you and and Oregon Contemporary Theater sort of jumped onto the online bandwagon, or are you sort of holding off a little? We're holding off some. We're starting to move some of our education program online, and you know, I was a, a initially very resistant to doing much online. Subsequently, uh, I have been involved in a couple of projects. I was actually scheduled to be directing the importance of being earnest at Oregon State University this term. And we had just finished casting it uh, prior to the pandemic. And the faculty there wanted to keep the students engaged. And it turns out that the student who was going to be the sound designer is a music engineering student. And this was going to be your thesis project. And what they decided instead is would I conduct Zoom rehearsals with the actors and have it result in a uh, audio play, a radio play. 
So we did that. We did three weeks of Zoom rehearsals. And then the actors have been recording their lines using their phones and uploading them so that this engineering music student can take the sound files and um, blend them all together into a radio play adaptation. Fortunately, you know, it's a play that's in public domain. So right. there's a lot of liberty that way. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. I also was asked to direct a, a short play as part of a festival of new works uh, from a company called Playground in San Francisco. So I have now directed a Zoom play. Um, in that case, it wasn't a script that was written for Zoom, but it worked, I think, fairly well. And you know, the fun thing about doing this Zoom work is you're no longer limited by geography. So in that instance, I was in Eugene. Uh, the stage manager was in San Francisco. One of the actors was in the East Bay and two of the actors were in New York and the playwright was in New Haven, Connecticut. And <laughs> we all just were on our Zoom meetings together. Uh, similarly, we're going to, we're sponsoring, OCT is sponsoring a new play development workshop of a play called A Distinct Society by a gentleman named Kareem Fami. Kareem is a Canadian director, playwright who lives in New York. Right now he is uh, sheltering in place with his husband in uh, Virginia Beach. And the director who's gonna be working on this project with us is from uh, Theater Works Silicon Valley and uh, my friend Kimberly Colborn, who now lives in Toronto is gonna be the dramaturg on it. And our actors will probably be from hither and yon, but we can do all that now because you know we don't have to geogra geographically bring everyone into the same room together. So yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff coming out of American Repertory Theater, but you know they they've been developing this list of resources on their website about. Um, I know we didn't want to have to do this, but there are actually some really great outcomes from uh, yeah. from actually having to do this, um, and the you know <clears throat> the idea that for example you could do a week's worth or two weeks worth of rehearsals with you know, your designers and your cast and your your dialect coaches and everybody remotely so that you're not having to pay for additional travel or housing, yeah. or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, those are things that I hope we don't lose. At moving no, yeah, forward. I think there's a lot to be held on to. Um, what so. else? I mean, what, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, to be honest, you know, you and I would see each other every once in a while at a conference or at an Oregon Arts right. Commission thing or whatever. Um, and you know, I moved to I moved to Idaho, and it was probably very unlikely we would have ever had an opportunity or a reason to really sort of be in touch again, unless we were at you know the TCG conference or whatever. Yeah, I just say, although you know that was always true. I always used to joke with you know people from Portland that I saw them more often at TCG conferences than I did in Oregon. You right, know? yeah, which is, I mean, which is crazy. And I mean, it's been the case for me that during this time I have found myself drawn to really having conversations with colleagues that I haven't been in touch with for a while, or as in the case of Oregon Contemporary Theater, really wanting to talk with theaters whose ethos and, and aesthetic I, I respect and sort of, this is, we have had the we've had the means to do this for years. We just have, haven't really had the impetus to do it, right? Yeah, we haven't made the time. Right. And in some ways, I think that it will also be one of the takeaways from this is I think 
people are learning to balance uh, time better and how to focus your use of time to make sure you get what needs to get done, but that you take care of things like uh, professional and personal relationships. And uh, you know, even in locally, it was rare that the arts leaders in Eugene would ever meet unless usually it was because a funder, you know, a regional foundation or somebody was holding a gun to our heads and making right. us together. <laughs> but we had a Zoom happy hour and I think it's time for us to come back together again because um, I think, you know, we're, we're gonna have to work together as we rebuild confidence amongst our, our patrons. And of course there's lots of crossover, so yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really do hope that that continues to be something that we hold on to um, as an industry. I mean, if you if you had to sort of think about what your great hopes are, lessons learned, for example, from this time of forced stillness and quietness as as artistic directors and administrators of theaters, what are you hoping we we take away from all of this? Well, I do think that there might be more opportunities for cooperation amongst theaters of different capacities in terms of budget size and space and, um, you know, presumed prestige, maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that we're all gonna have to be more cooperative going forward. And since we are now more often in touch because of circumstance, hopefully it will uh, mean stronger relationships both during this period of crisis, but then afterwards and going forward. Yeah, I, I, I have found myself, and I don't know if this has been your experience at all, but I have found myself suddenly realizing how sort of myopic my vision has been over the last few years, right? Like when I was with Bag and Baggage, it was all about, uh, the only thing I cared about was finishing the capital campaign. The only thing I cared about what was what was going on within a mile and a half of my theater. Coming to Idaho, you know, a year and a half ago with Company of Fools, I was really, really focused on this community and this theater company. But in the last, you know, 84 days, I my interest in what, is happening in my region, in the country, and particularly with theaters that have a comparable sort of, you know, artistic mission has, has blossomed. I mean, uh, you know, I'm finding myself going, God, I wonder what these folks are doing and hey, I should reach out to them. Um, I, I love the idea that this is, that this moment is going to try and encourage us to, to keep thinking about cooperation and collaboration instead of competition. Yeah. So we should do some stuff together. <laughs> Certainly. You know, the funny thing is, is that uh, I had to laugh when I read that you had landed there. Uh, when I first arrived at Lord, what was then Lord Liebrich Theater Company, the original name of Oregon Contemporary Theater, um, I got a call from one of the founding board members who she wasn't on the board any longer, but she wanted to introduce herself and very pleasant uh, woman and she really thought it was imperative that I immediately reach out to um, the company of fools uh, and that's because she has a second home in Sun Valley oh. and she's a patron of the company of fools and she thought what they were doing 17 years ago was 
terrific and that I should, you know, find out what I could. And so I did. I did call whoever was the managing director back then and had a pleasant conversation. And of course, I learned that, you know, the, the realities of uh, the socioeconomics of Sun Valley, Idaho are very different than Eugene, Oregon. That is very true, Craig. That's very true. Very insightful of you to notice. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It, I mean, it is a uh, it is a very different place to produce theater for sure. Um, well, I mean, and I can also remember you and I have had a couple of conversations over the last eight years or whatever, where we yeah. were like, hey, we should totally do something together. And then, you know, two and a half years go by and we're like, oh yeah, never mind. We'll try and figure it out. It's going to be interesting because I have a project right now that um, other forces are pushing me to want to try and partner with a much larger theater. And so it'll be interesting to see if that happens, that if, if they do, they want to play. I, mean, I can remember a few years ago reaching out to the Seattle rep and uh, about a specific project and they were just like yeah it's just too hard and it there you know sometimes the unions and the organ you know right. play, people like Lord do make it challenging to um, cooperate amongst different budget sizes but well, that that for me, that is one of the things that I hope really comes out of this process is that there is a a, a new understanding and appreciation for how rigid our industry had become, um, whether it's conversations with equity or you know stagehand unions or lort requirements or whatever, right? All of those sort of like it's all so very strict and so very micromanaged that we are now finding that when we have to be flexible and when we have to think on our feet, those limitations are, have become barriers. I mean, I am a huge fan of the union. I love working with equity. I love unions all over the place. That's not a problem with the, the union, you know, with the philosophy of having a union representing and protecting the interests of artists, but we can't do theater the same way we have for the last 20 years. Things have to change. Yeah. And suddenly we're finding that these, these challenges are um, causing delays, uh, uh, uncertainty, uh, you know, a lack of ability to make decisions quickly when there are times that we really need to make decisions quickly. So, you know, my hope is that a lot of those kind of lines about I'm a big dog theater and you're a midsize and we never play together, that all of that just has to go away because we're, 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 we all have to be in this together or none of us are gonna make it, right? right? So yeah, that's my hope. I don't know, eh, hopefully you and I will make it happen. Yep, no, I think it'll be, you know, you know I, I don't know. I, I do think that when this is done, um, you, know, I, you know, it's kind of the way I look at a lot of things. I think that, uh, forest fires ultimately serve a purpose mm -hmm. and you know there's regrowth and um new developments afterwards and and that's kind of what's happening to us on a global scale right now yeah well that's a hopeful way of thinking about it i, I appreciate that i'm gonna start telling people you know, just have to wait until the fires die down and see what grows exactly. right exactly. look at those seedlings sprouting up exactly from i get it yeah <laughs> 
Well, uh, I so appreciate you taking the time. My name is Scott Palmer. I'm producing artistic director of Company of Fools, and you are listening to Foolish Voices. If you have enjoyed my conversation with artistic director Craig Willis of Oregon Contemporary Theater, please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at our parent organization, that is the Sun Valley Museum of Art, at their website at svmoa.org. Craig has been at the helm of Oregon Contemporary Theater since 2003. He's directed a gazillion shows for them and designed quite a few as well. And I'm going to include in the description on this podcast, Craig, a link back to Oregon Contemporary Theater's website uh, so people can find out how to support you and your important work. Um, and remind me again what your what your big fundraising campaign is. It's Oregon Contemporary the Theater. Fire Fund. And, yeah. Nice. Great. So if you uh, if you want to make sure that that folks like Oregon Contemporary Theater and Company of Fools survive the forest fire and grow like seedlings, now is the time to give us both some money. So please consider supporting Craig and his important work. And it was a pleasure, as always, to talk with you. And I hope I hope uh, hope this isn't the last time we can we can chat. No, stay in touch. Thanks so much, and take care. And uh, best of luck, break a leg. Be well. Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs>